Welcome back to the I Believe the Book podcast. Let me just thank you, first of all, to those of you that uh, have watched Season 2, Parts 1 and 2. And uh, I hope that they were a blessing to you as we were studying a little bit about how I believe God perfectly preserved His words in this King James Bible. And so I appreciate everybody that watched, everybody that, uh, that uh, shared it, everybody that subscribes and all those different things that you do in that world of social media and YouTube and all of that stuff. And uh, I would like to say this to you. If you'd like to send us comments, I've never really opened the door for that, so I want to do that now. You can email us at Tony Shirley, T-O-N-Y-S-H-I-R-L-E-Y, Tony Shirley at newmanabaptist.com. And if you've got questions about the episodes or, or if you've got even something about the Bible or maybe particularly about the King James Bible, that uh, you would like to email us. We'd love to uh, look at those and maybe we can talk about them in a future episode. And so I appreciate again all of you and all that you do to uh, make this thing kind of be a blessing and to get it out there. And I hope that it has been a blessing to many folks. We're looking forward to the uh, episode tonight. Now this is a little bit different. We're going to do tonight with a phone call interview. We've uh, not graduated quite yet to the level of Zoom. Uh, we were working on that. We've had some technical difficulties. And I really appreciate the graciousness of my guest, which is Andrew Decker. And I'll introduce him more appropriately here in a minute. But uh, we had some technical difficulties, so we're just going to do it with a phone call. So we won't have him on, on video. We'll just have him on audio. But I'm very excited about the lesson that he wants to bring tonight. Before we get to that, let me introduce him to you. Uh, Brother Andrew Decker is a, a young man I've known for many years. He used to come to our teen camp with his church from Canton, Ohio. And I watched him grow up, and God called him to preach, and went off to Bible college, and came back from Bible college, just began to serve faithfully in his church for many years. And now, uh, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, he can tell us uh, exactly here in a minute, uh, he became the pastor of his home church, the Bible Believers Baptist Church in Canton, Ohio. And Brother Andrew's doing a great job. He's one of the young men that stir my heart, because he is, uh, he is young, and he's excited, and he's fired up, but he still clings uh, to the truths that he was given, particularly this truth about the King James Bible being the preserved words of God. He's excited about talking to us about that. So, Brother Andrew, we appreciate you being on here. Talk to me. Let's make sure I can hear you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I can hear you good. Hope you can hear me. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the invitation. Yes, sir. I can hear you. And again, thank you for putting up with all the craziness <laughs> of the night. Uh, between the be two, expected. yeah. Between the two of us, we are not uh, <laughs> technological geniuses. Brother Brandon's doing the best he can to help us, uh, but we appreciate you being able to work with us. And now we're just going to do it Absolutely. through a phone call. And uh, Brother Andrew, you shared with me a little bit about the funny story that you're going to tell. I always like yeah. to have my guests tell something, some kind of mistake they've made in the ministry that we can all <laughs> laugh about. And uh, I, I always say that you've got to get to the place that you can laugh at yourself. You need to do that. That's right. And you you shared with me this story, and I got to say it, it was a, it was an eye opener. I'm pretty I'm pretty excited <laughs> about our listeners hearing uh, what you did, and uh, I am thankful for how it turned out. But why don't you go ahead and share with them the details of this? Uh, we'll call it this mistake that you made. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, we can definitely classify it as a mistake, and I've learned from this. But uh, 
you know, this is a preacher story, but this is an actually true preacher story. So I do want to clarify <laughs> yeah. that this is not an exaggeration. This actually happened. Uh, back in 2010, of course, I was just a young preacher then. Uh, a friend of mine, Pastor David Jeffers, who pastors the Bible Baptist Church in Seymour, Tennessee, great man, good church. Uh, he invited me down, again, as a young preacher, along with some other young preachers who had just graduated from Bible college to come to his church and preach a three-day meeting. Now, these other other three guys were already friends of mine, and we were buddies, and, and we we're looking forward to the opportunity. And a part of the meeting that weekend uh, is they had scheduled a Saturday morning golf outing right. uh, with the preachers and men in the church and just kind of doing a scramble type of a thing. And uh, so, he, you know, it put us together, me and three other of my friends, and we're playing it. 90 degrees, you know, it's early June that year and right. really humid. And my friend, you know, kept complaining during the round that his hands were up, his hands were slipping. He felt like the club was going to slip out of his hands. He was sweating and stuff. It was hot. And he kind of kept mentioning that throughout the round. Then we got to the 16th hole, which was a par three. And this golf course was in like a residential type of a neighborhood. You know, sometimes they'll squeeze a golf course in, uh, in a place like right, that. Right. And uh, on this particular hole, the left side of this hole was kind of lined with a bunch of duplexes that were all built up on a hill. And uh, each of these individual units, although just one large building, uh, each of them had their own little uh, private deck uh, built up off the ground right. connected to their unit. And you could only access that you know, through their sliding glass door. There was no steps to get up to it uh, from the outside. And uh, he gets up there to hit his tee shot. He takes a few practice swings. Well, one of the practice swings, uh, the club slips out of his hand, goes flying through the air, and we're all watching this take place. And sure enough, it lands right oh, in somebody's deck. Oh, uh, like I said, 20 feet off the ground, built on top of the hill there. And uh, you know, we're laughing hysterically that it happened, obviously, and decide quickly that we need to go get the club. So we drive the golf cart up and around to the front of these of this large unit with all these different uh, uh, duplexes. And we had a hard time finding out which one was the owner or right. which one had the deck where the club went. Anyway, so we knocked on what we thought was the door of the person where the club was. They didn't answer, so we go to the neighbor. And it was actually the neighbor that was a young couple. It was a husband and wife. They were young. Uh, we go back to their deck to look out to see if we could see the club on the neighbor's deck. And sure enough, we thought it was there. And, and he actually came up with the idea. He said, well, why don't you just – why doesn't somebody just climb up on the roof here, walk over – and jump down on her deck and grab the club that way. And it, you know, it made sense at the time, but maybe that wasn't so you know, bad of an idea. We thought she wasn't home because she didn't answer. Yeah. Well, they ended up volunteering me, or I volunteered myself, not exactly sure how it happened, but I ended up on that roof, and, and I'm walking across the roof, and I, and I go down to the, the deck of the, the house where the club had, gotten, had landed, right. and, uh, and, I'm literally, and I'm literally dangling my legs over the edge of her spouting on her roof, and oh I'm about goodness. to push off, but I kind of stopped and thought, if I get down there, how am I going to get back up? And uh, in the middle of me thinking about that, I hear this lady who turned out to be home who was just screaming, oh. like, I mean, screaming, get off my my deck and some other things that we can't, you know, add to the podcast here. But uh, uh, sure. she is irately screaming. Yes. I'm calling the cops. I'm calling the oh cops. So goodness. I'm like, so I yell out to my friends on the other deck. I said, she's home. She's home. So they run back around. I uh, pick my, you know, instead of jumping, I get up on the roof again, walk over to the other neighbor's deck, jump down. Uh, they go to the front door and she's just not having it. I mean, she is screaming. I'm calling the cops. Yeah. Get out of here. Get out of here. So we had decided to leave because what could we do? 
And of course, we had to tell the pastor of the church we're at yeah. what had just what had happened, and that the police just might show up. I mean, you did this. you did take time to finish the last two holes, I believe. Is that well, correct? that's right. We did. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, I hate to say it. We may be we going had, to mean, jail, but we got priorities, right? Absolutely. Paul finished his course. <laughs> Paul finished his course, and we Paul want to do as well. His you know? okay. Yeah. So I mean, well hey, done. So. Well done. Go yeah, ahead. absolutely. Go ahead. Want to be faithful, you know. Uh, so anyway, we get to the last hole we finish, and we're waiting for the pastor to get there so we can tell him what happened. And of course, he's a little surprised to hear that you know this say, has happened, obviously. Yeah, and his guest preachers. And he's like, well, you, mm-hmm. yeah, his guest preachers, you know. And, uh, and so he's like, well, you guys go back to the hotel. I'll take care of it. So he goes back to the lady's house, uh, tries to explain who we were, why I was on her roof, but I right. wasn't trying to break and enter, you know. Right. But, you know, he had lost the golf club, and they just wanted to get it back. Well, she just still wasn't having it. I would say. And, uh, and uh, he told her, uh, well, actually, that was the next day. But before that, you know, he was able to leave his phone room and said, well, if you wouldn't mind, maybe, you know, call me later. I could come get the club. Well, the next day, she ended up calling him. All right. And says, yes, you can have the club back. So he drives back there, uh, meets her at the front door. She has the golf club. Uh, and she gives it over, and she explains to the pastor. She said, you know, look, I've really been troubled about what happened here. She's like, she's like I actually had a gun. Oh, uh, and I was waiting to see if he was going to jump down and try to enter my home. Goodness. And I'm thinking, boy, after I heard that, I was really glad it didn't jump. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah. But anyway, so she, wow. you know, explains that it really had rattled her. What could have happened, you know, if I would have jumped down there to grab that right. club after she found out who I was and what I was really doing. And uh, it turns out that the pastor talked to her, was, you know, trying to witness to her. And she right. begins to explain that she was actually a Christian. And that she had been so troubled about this, it happened a day earlier, of course, at this time, that she really felt like, she told the pastor that she felt like the Lord was using this to get her attention. It really rattled her what could have happened. And uh, it probably she felt rattled like it you a little, little bit, too, I'd say. It, it rattled me a whole lot once <laughs> I found out what could have happened. Absolutely. Yeah, so My it worked out amazingly goodness. well. My friend got the golf club back, and she yeah. said the Lord used it to get her attention about yeah. maybe getting some things right with him. But I, it was wild. I don't want to misuse the scriptures, but it reminded me of the verse that said that, that our ignorance he winked at right there. I mean, <laughs> there, was, there, was a, well, there was some deep levels of ignorance taking place well, there, and God yeah, took care maybe. of you. God took care of it, you. Praise God. It seemed like it seemed like wisdom at the time, but yeah. hindsight, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you took yeah. the advice of this complete stranger in the next apartment right there, so that was brilliant. So, well, uh, praise the Lord. You, I would say you've learned from that. And, and one of the main lessons yeah. you probably learned is don't be the one that goes on the roof. Put the next That's guy absolutely on. right. That's absolutely right. right. You can help somebody up, but just don't That's be the one right. that goes up. That's right. Well, thank God for taking care of you. That's a story. That, that may be one of the best yes, few that we've had. Uh, and so <laughs> thank God for taking care of us. And hopefully, thank God we grow and learn a little bit too. So, Brother Decker, uh, I want to jump into the lesson here. Um, yes. I'm excited about it. You know, of course, you and I, uh, we believe strongly that God has promised to perfectly preserve His words. And we yes, believe sir. that He has done that here in the form of this King James Bible. And part of that belief is this, that because we believe God has perfectly preserved His Bible, we believe we have a perfect Bible. And right. uh, that means we believe that the translators that He used uh, to give us this Bible, that, that when they translated the words and put them into English, that they got it right. And yes, uh, we don't believe in uh, a better translation or a better rendering or any of that. We believe that what God used them to do is exactly what God intended for us to have. And right. so one of the uh, things you're going to talk about tonight is a particular place in the Bible 
that they like to point to to say that it was not translated properly. And you want right. to take some other verses, and I'm excited about the fact that you're going to take the Bible itself to defend itself. Yes, I really like that. And so uh, I, I want you to go ahead and just dive into that lesson, and I'll try to just listen and uh, maybe just comment a little bit here and there. But go ahead and talk to us a little bit about why you believe the book, and particularly you believe this book is the perfectly preserved words of God. Go ahead, brother. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in the book of Acts, this is uh, in the book of Acts, I'm going to read this passage in just a moment. But one of the one of the more popular or more common arguments against the King James Bible being a perfect translation is that the word Easter uh, in Acts chapter twelve, verse number four, is a mistranslation, and that it actually should have been translated uh, as as Passover. And that, again, that's a common attack uh, that skeptics will use against you know what we would believe about, like you said, it being a perfect uh, translation. Now I'll go ahead and read the verse. It's, as I said, Acts chapter 12, verse number 4. The Bible says there, And when he had apprehended him, the he referring to Herod apprehending Peter, the Bible says he put him in prison and delivered him to four quarturians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now, what's interesting about this is that the King James Bible is the only English version that translates that word as Passover. I mean, I've done some research, and there's a chance I could have missed one, obviously, but as far as I could tell, every other English version uh, translates it as Passover and not Easter. Right. right. Uh, I'll quote a couple of these uh, here quickly. Uh, the ESV uh, says this in that verse. It says, When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four quads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Uh, the New King James uh, says this, uh, And when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. All right, so so what I'd like to do tonight uh, in this study is, is I'd like to prove that the word, as you said, using the Scripture to do so, would like to prove that the word Easter all right, in the King James Bible is indeed the correct the correct translation. And, and as you said, we'll use some scripture uh, to prove it, which is pretty fun that you can do that to prove something like this. But uh, in regard uh, to this translation, what's, what's interesting about this is this. Now, the Greek word that is translated Easter is the Greek word Pascha, P-A-S-C-H-A. And what's interesting about this word is that the word, the Greek word Pascha, it appears 29 times in the New Testament, and 28 of those times, the King James translators translated it Passover. There was only one instance where they did not translate Pascha as Passover, and it's here in Acts chapter 12, uh, verse number 4. Now, that's that's really interesting. Again, right, uh, just right. one out of the 29 times that they translated it differently. Now, uh, now the question is, and again, how, how can we prove that it's, that it's the correct translation all right, and, and really part of the answer, all right, into proving that it is the right translation is actually found uh, in Acts chapter 12. Uh, and let me read through a couple of these verses here again. Uh, starting in verse number one, the Bible says, Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now verse number three is, is part of the key here to understanding this. Verse three the Bible says, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to take Peter also. But notice what's in parentheses at the end of verse 3. 
The end of verse 3 says, Then were the days, plural, and that's important, days of unleavened bread. Right? So verse number 3, the Bible makes it clear that Peter was captured during the days of unleavened bread. It's pretty obvious and clear uh, to see that. All right? Before, all right, or excuse me, during the days of unleavened bread. Now, what we're going to notice by studying the Scripture is that the Passover occurred before uh, the days of unleavened bread, all right? So to begin with, it makes sense to go where the Passover uh, first shows up, and of course that's in uh, the book of Exodus chapter 12. And uh, without, you know, being too redundant here with time and such, I'll read a little bit of it, if that's all right. Yes, sir. Uh, Excuse me, uh, Exodus chapter 12, again, where the Passover shows up the first time, and we'll skip through you know, some of the reading for the sake of time, as I said. But Exodus chapter 12, we'll just pick it up in verse in verse 13. All right, just again, keeping in mind that Peter was apprehended during the days of unleavened bread. All right. Uh, Exodus 12, 13, it says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So obviously he's talking about the Passover, verse 13. But in verse 14, the Bible says, and this day, all right, not these days, okay. but in this day singular, right? He's referring to, of course, the Passover when he says this day, shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. All right, so the Passover, according to verses 13 and 14, is how many days? Looks like a, just one. Yeah, one day. Just, right. Just one day in this in this day. Now, beginning in verse 15 of Exodus chapter 12, he's going to begin speaking about the days of unleavened bread. Uh, verse 15, in seven days, right, not day, but days, shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses, for whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, all right, so this feast, of course, lasting seven days, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And the first day, all right, the first of the seven days of that feast, there shall be an holy convocation, and, you shall, and in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, so on and so forth. All right, so there in that passage we see that seven days, would follow, all right, the Jews, all right, observing the Passover, all right? Yes, sir. Uh, now, it's not—go ahead. Yes, sir, I was just agreeing with you. I like it. Okay. Now, a little bit later in the same passage, if you look at verse 18, in verse 18, we're actually given the dates, all right, for observing the Passover and the days of unleavened bread, again, which follow the Passover. Uh, verse 18, it says, uh, in the first month, Right, which according to the next chapter, chapter 13, verse uh, 4, uh, 3 and 4, we know that's the month Abib. All right, it says, In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread. All right, referring to the Passover. Then he says, Until the 1 and 20th, uh, 1 and 20th day of the month at even. All right, so there in that verse, again, we see the dates of observing these, these two feasts, the Passover and the days of unleavened bread. All right, so the month Abib, it coincides with our uh, calendar, would be sometime in April. So we've got April the 14th through the 21st. All right, so far laid out there 
according to the observance of the Passover and then of the uh, the feast, the days of unleavened bread. Yes. Sir. Now, again, what I'm trying. To, go ahead. I was just agreeing again. <laughs> yeah, but what I what I'm trying to point out to you here in the lesson is that the Passover occurs before the days of unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's kind of what we're trying to emphasize. And there's other passages we can look at Leviticus chapter 23, and we'll see it a little bit more clear uh, than we did there in Exodus. Leviticus 23, verses 5 and 6, uh, says, I will start in verse 4. It says, And these are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which each shall proclaim in their season. All right, verse 5 and 6. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. All right, so the Passover only lasts one day, according to verse 5. Then verse 6. And on the fifteenth day of the same month, the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. All right, so the Passover clearly occurred, according to verse 5, on the 14th day of the first month. And then the feast of unleavened bread begins on the 15th day and continues uh, throughout the 21st day uh, of that month. All right, so again, it's very clear the way it what the way it occurred 14th day passover first and then after the passover is over the 15th day the seven days of unleavened unleavened bread uh, again there's multiple scriptures uh to confirm that being the the way it's laid out i'll just give you another one if that's okay another two or so yes sir uh numbers chapter 28 let me flip through here quickly numbers 28 uh verse 16 we see it again very clearly laid out here. Uh, Numbers chapter 28, verse 16, it says, And in the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. And the 15th day of this month is the feast. Seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten. All right. So again, the Passover is only considered to be on the 14th day of the month. All right. And that the 15th day begins, as we've already saw, the days of unleavened bread. Uh, I'll just give you another one. I'll just go ahead and quote this. It's also in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 33, uh, verse number 3. And it says, uh, And they departed from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month. But here's the statement. On the morrow after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with an high hand in the sight of all the Egyptians. All right, so whenever the Passover was kept, it always preceded, as we're seeing in the order of these verses, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All right. So, again, it's, it's pretty obvious when the Feast of the Passover was and that it preceded uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, it, in light of the, just those scriptures, we go back to uh, the book of Acts now, chapter 12. Again, in light of that, let's go ahead and read verses 3 and 4 again. All right. The Bible says, And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Now, according to those other references, didn't we already see that the Passover occurred before that? Yeah, yes, sir. I mean, that to me, that would seem very clear from the scriptures you just used that in those verses, the 14th and then starting on the 15th would be these days of unleavened bread. So the Passover would have been uh, gone by this time in verse 3. 
Exactly, right? Then were the days. And again, this is when Peter's apprehended and captured during the days of yeah. unleavened bread. So like you said, the Passover has clearly already occurred. Clear. According according to those uh, those references. But then in light of that, verse 4, all right, he says, And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four fortunions of soldiers to keep him. But look at this, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Well, that, possi- that, that cannot possibly be referring to the Passover, right? Right. Because the Passover has already came and went. <laughs> So yeah, it, 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 it would be it, over it, before verse 3, yeah. Correct, right. So it's kind of neat to see, but again, it, it's just unique to consider that of the 29 times that word Pascha is translated in the, by the King James translators, 28 times it was Passover, except for right there in verse number 4 where they translated it Easter. How about and that? to me, it just indicates that there might have been a... Uh, <laughs> Somebody leading them and directing yeah. them and guiding them. Giving them some, uh, in, yeah, clarity. Yeah, yeah some divine direction. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It shows me, too, so, I mean, that they were comparing Scripture with Scripture as they were doing their translations. I have no doubt about right, that. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, these guys would have not only had a handle on all those different languages, they'd had a pretty good handle on the Bible, I'm sure, as well. Absolutely, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Yeah. So it's just kind of neat that you can use the Scripture to refute uh, that that argument against that word being translated wow. incorrectly, and, and again, like I said earlier, every other English translation translates that as as Passover and not Easter. So you know, Which, Brother Decker, one of the things that that's been uh, on my heart recently, I'm doing a, a discipleship class here at the church, and before I get into the major doctrines, I take a couple of lessons to uh, to teach them about what we believe about the words of God. And I do mm-hmm. that because when we get into the doctrines of the Word of God, you know, the verses and how they are written uh, are often very vital to the doctrinal support. You know, when we're learning sure. doctrines, it's because of how it's written in the Word of God, which is the source of our doctrine. And sure. so to mm-hmm. me, it becomes important at the beginning that I show them that we believe every word in this Bible is there on purpose and it's right where God wanted it and that we have confidence in its every word so that when we use specific words in specific places to support our doctrines, we can have confidence in that. And so uh, when I'm doing that, I show some of these other versions because I believe, Brother Decker, in the what I call the the doctrine of the purity of the Word of God. That the Bible says every word of God is pure, all right? And it says, you know, the Mm -hmm. words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth. And then it says, you know, that thou, O Lord, shall preserve them. And so I believe the implication very clearly there is that if he's going to preserve the words perfectly, then the purity Mm -hmm. that's in Scripture, and that's all through the Bible, that the words of the Lord are pure, then that purity would also be preserved and that we would have a pure, perfect word of God. And then when I when I start dealing with some of these other new versions, one of the things that I've been pointing out is this: I, I'm not saying that um, other that the doctrines are not contained in these other versions. I'm not saying you can't, right, right. that you can't find the doctrine of uh, the deity of Christ in in NIV. I, I believe you could probably find all of the major doctrines in just about any of those modern versions. But what right. I, what mm-hmm. I also point out is. I can find places where they contradict those same doctrines. So yes. the ESV, you know, in Philippians, I've used it on here several times, Philippians, I believe, 2.6 or whatever, where it talks about, um, 
you know, that the Lord thought it not robbery to be equal with God. When they get that one wrong, it becomes a verse that teaches against the deity of Christ. Now, I'm not right. saying that the deity of Christ is not in some other verses. I'm sure that it is. What I'm saying is, at that point, you have impurity. Yeah. You, you've got one verse teaching one thing. You've got another verse teaching another thing. And that creates an impurity. And so one of the things that, that we love about the King James Bible is the purity of the words of God that have been preserved. And so when I listen to your lesson right here, what I would say is that when you start comparing the verses that you just showed us in the Old Testament with Acts 12.4 in these modern versions, it's a, it's a clear impurity. Right, it, absolutely. All of a sudden, their book is not the pure words of God. And God didn't just promise, as we've said before on here, to preserve ideas and concepts. He promised to preserve His words. His and word, so I appreciate, right. I appreciate you pointing that out because not only is it, is it pointing out again to us, that we, it's you know, confirming for us uh, what we already believe, that they got it right when they translated these words, but it's also once again showing the impurity of many of the modern versions. And right. so that, yes. that's a problem for me. When you get any amount of impurity then I feel like you can't trust you can't trust that book. So I'm thankful right, that we've absolutely. got a book we can trust. You know, the truth of the matter is, Brother Andrew, that uh, those that are, you know, there are some people that just feel like uh, they have decided that other versions are okay, and, you know, and that's fine. Everybody has their own conscience. But there's another group out there that have decided because, because other versions are okay, they just feel the need to attack the King James Version. And mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is, nothing that we say or do is really going to probably uh, change Absolutely those right. people. Yeah, not going to. Yeah. And I'm okay mm -hmm. with that. I mean, again, I'm not here to fight. I just want to be a, a source of encouragement, particularly to the young guys out there, uh, right. and let them know that you know it's not it's not an uneducated stance, it's not an unstudied uh, stance. That uh, there have been many come before us. And there'll be some come Certainly. after us that are much more intelligent, uh, much better Bible scholars and all those things that will hold to the same truth that we hold to. That God right. promised and God kept His promise in the form of this King James Bible. And when He kept the promise of preservation, He kept the purity of those words and the power that is in this book is unquestionable. And so uh, was there anything else you wanted to add to that, Brother Decker? Or is that the end of that lesson? Yeah, I think that's pretty sufficient. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think you did a great job on that. I appreciate you again coming on, and I personally yeah. appreciate your uh, faithfulness to the Word of God as a young man, as a young pastor, and I appreciate your uh, stand on it. And thank you for putting up with our craziness and our technological <laughs> struggles, and being willing uh, to stay a little extra. Yes, thank you for staying a little <laughs> extra to get this in. And uh, no, glad to do it. We'll Real have privilege. you on again sometime, buddy. I'm going to let you go. And uh, God bless you. Yes, sir. You too. Love you, brother. Love you, buddy. Well, we appreciate you again tuning in, and hopefully, you'll uh, hopefully you've enjoyed what we were able to do tonight, and uh, in these last couple of lessons. And if again you have any comments, we'd love for you to reach out to us. Of course, uh, I'm personally on Twitter, and uh, you can reach me on there, or you can email us at Tony Shirley at newmanabaptist.com and we'd love to see those comments. God bless you. Have a good evening.